a good transition too. Welcome to a retrospection radio theater. It is the week of Thanksgiving, and you're right. The whole uh, Altamont thing, I mean, that's shown up how many times now in an episode? Twice? Oh, it's, um, it, it, the 1960s? Yeah. And, yep, it's 1970. Altamont closed off 1969, December 8th or something like that, and it was uh, what a grand old time. The final nail in the coffin. The final nail <laughs> in the coffin. No more hippies. Nope. Both, both a good thing and a bad thing. <laughs> They're kind of around in the 70s, but not nearly. They don't They don't really quite have the, I guess, the control over the pop culture that they did in the 60s. So, you're listening to 97.5 WOBN The Wild Card. This is Retrospection Radio Hour with your host, Noah. And I'm Nate. We have been going through the decades, and I, as I was driving over today, I was listening to our playlist, and I had it on random, and I, it all hit me just how, how much we've done. We have covered so much in these weeks, and I have spent all day working on season four of Retrospection Radio, which, shameless plug, it is going to be out on December 31st, a month ahead of time. And it is an audio drama about a, it's an audio drama, true crime, or this season is true crime, horror, and basically what happens is serial killer goes out on the loose in small town Maine, and from there, everyone is uh, starting to lose interest in the serial killer, except for an ex an ex-radio host turn true crime detective who has dedicated himself to solving the crime now it is focusing on the horror aspect and the true crime aspect so you're following royal mcneil a detective as he solves um who the serial killer is but it's also got some otherworldly elements in there um there's some monsters and various other things to keep you on your toes it's not your uh, normal true crime podcast so go ahead and give retrospection radio a follow on any of the social medias we also talk about this you know the our radio show we had a I, i've been working a lot on promos and i i had a promo i enjoyed i'm very excited for 1960s part two promo to go out um, but it's Woo. it's very hippie looking. Woo. So yeah, uh, follow us on literally anything and you know Reddit, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of it. Uh, we are back and we have finally made it from the 1960s, which was two episodes, but it felt like it was ten. Um, welcome to so, the 70s. So a lot. There was a lot to unpack. There was a lot to unpack a lot in the 1970s or 60s. As they say in the movie Fritz the Cat, hey, yeah, the 1960s, happy times, heavy times. <laughs> so I, it is the week of Thanksgiving. Um, it is the 22nd of November, and Thanksgiving is in, what, two days, three days? I'm not very good at this whole thing. I think it's three days. Um, and... I wanted to start by telling you, uh, in 1970, the first day of mourning was held in, uh, bah, bah, bah. I lost my town. I think it was Plymouth, but don't quote me quite on that. A day of mourning? Yes. So. Who were they? What were they mourning? Um, 
The National Day of Mourning was held Thanksgiving 1970. Um, Basically, the idea was that... Ah, Cape Cod. The idea here was that Thanksgiving um, and the pilgrims and all that uh, didn't go over too well for the natives. They they got destroyed. (laughs) And from there... Uh, these people in the 1970 in Cape Cod uh, held a day of mourning to recognize the loss of Native American life over the course of the centuries um, due to people moving in. So 500 Native Americans from across the country gathered uh, at the statue of Massasoit. Uh, Yeah. With the amount of history we cover, I can't get all the names right. Um, the guy who organized it gave a speech, um, and he had an original speech that he had prepared to give on the 350th anniversary of the Pilgrim's Landing, but he tempered it a little bit. He messed around with it. Um, he wanted a peaceful event that would inspire a connection between natives and non-natives um, in the sense of you know, the indigenous people who lived here and the Europeans who uh, came across the pond. So he had some fun things to say. Um, However, there is cursing involved, and thus I'm not going to say them. But 1970, first National Day of Mourning held in Cape Cod. Pretty cool. That's cool. That's pretty, that's strong, you know. For the 70s, I feel like it's, both a surprise and not a surprise at the same time. Yeah, the 70s gave way to a lot of, like, darkness. Yeah, well, in the 60s kind of ended with the darkness, too. It it didn't start that way, but by the end of the decade, people really realized, not a fun time. <laughs> yeah. Maybe LSD is bad for us. No, that stuff kind of fell by the wayside. By the end of the 60s, it was just a lot of the harder stuff. Just a lot of people doing a lot of cocaine and heroin. And, and just, CIA assassinations and, you know, all the fun stuff. Yeah, I mean, everybody's, I mean, everybody, I mean, it, it's it's hard because, like, in the 70s, you know, like, the late 60s, like, you had Jimi Hendrix die and, you know, Janis yep. Joplin in 1971. You had uh, Jim Morrison die and it's just, like, all these, and even Brian Wilson died. I think he died in 1960, not Brian Wilson, Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones. He died in, uh, he died in... I think like 69 I could be wrong about that but like just all these you know really important people just like to the youth they're just they're dying of drug overdoses <laughs> and everyone's and like why why is this happening and yeah it's just just real heavy stuff and then and even like you know with like the Grateful Dead you know like they kind of were well you know in the 70s they didn't have any money because their manager stole all of their money and their manager happened to be one of the drummers because they have two drummers. One of the drummers' is dad, the Reverend Lenny Hart, took all of their money and fled. And then they had to, so they did, they came out with the song that that album, the album that that song is on, Working Man's Dead. They had to basically just like, it's like, we're just going to do acoustic kind of country records instead of these wild psychedelic records we did <laughs> on the last two albums where we wasted valuable studio time and money and had to re-record the album like two or three times or however many times they re-recorded it but 
I mean, it's just like, I feel like the 70s were just kind of like, the early 70s were just kind of like... Very depressing. Both back to basics and equal and in equal parts, like, you know, getting more and more amped up because at the same time you have a lot of like prog, progressive rock bands come out. Like, you know, Pink Floyd starting to kind of get some street cred out there because they're, you know... I mean, there are, like, because in the early 70s, like, they have some really great stuff, even before Dark Side of the Moon, like, Echoes and all this other stuff. And, but they still, you know, because obviously Dark Side of the Moon just exploded literally everywhere. Oh, yeah. It, I it, mean, people still, there's still t-shirts out of it I mean, to that, this day. That album is awesome. It's like, it's like, you know, if I could... I would have just played the whole album. <laughs> I would have just put the whole album on the playlist instead of just the one song. Every time I hear one of those songs, it's just like, I want to hear the other stuff. I want to hear the rest of it, not just one. <laughs> well, so uh, the singer-songwriters, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, and Jim Morrison all died at 27. I know, yeah. They, they all died the same age for the same reason. I think even Brian, I think even Brian Jones did, too. I might be wrong, though. Uh, I don't think I have Brian Jones on here right now. I don't know the answer to that. Well, uh, speaking of, we'll go back a little bit. Speaking of like National Day of Mourning and all that, uh, First Earth Day, 1970. It's a First Earth Day, is absurd. Um, and to start off the 70s, it, oh boy, a lot of racial tensions had risen in the 60s. And a lot of... Just tensions everywhere, even on... Well, yeah, you're right. The Irish over in... uh, And even on the... In the the college campuses, like, protesting, demonstrating against the Vietnam War. So, here... Here's something we talked about last time, because it was the late 60s. February 18th, 1970, five members of the Chicago 7 are convicted uh, of crossing state lines to incite riots. During the, yip- the 1968 Democratic Presidential Convention. The yippies. Yes. Uh, we talked about what happened in Chicago last time. So go ahead and go listen to 1960s Part 2 uh, to catch up on what happened with the whole Chicago 7 thing. So going into the 70s. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, early 70s. Kent State and Jackson State shootings occur uh, during a student protest, which grew violent. Yes, which inspired the song Ohio by Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Ten soldiers and Nixon's coming. We're finally on our own this summer. I hear the drumming, four dead in Ohio. Whoa, 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 Ohio. Wrong Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh That's the isn't that the Black Keys? Yeah, Black Keys. You know, forty, fifty years later. Maybe maybe I'll maybe I'll play that song next time. Ohio. And next I, time in the eighties? Oh. <laughs> unless unless we spend a lot of time in nineteen seventy, which is honestly at this point I wouldn't be too surprised if Very likely. This is where <laughs> everything really starts happening. So uh the first ever top forty is hosted by Casey Kasem. Um, in Shaggy? 1970. <laughs> like, you had no idea. <laughs> I really love music. <laughs> like, this is the top 40 radio, man. <laughs> um, the Environmental Protection Agency is created. 
1970. Uh, the Occupational Safety and Health Act is signed into law. No idea what that is. Really, not a lot of stuff happened in 70. It was 71 that had a lot start happening. The Beatles broke up in 1970. This is true. I was about to say that the, uh, the Beatles disbanded in 1970. The Apollo 13 moon mission returns to Earth successfully after abandoning its mission to the moon um, due to oxygen tank problems. Yeah, they had... uh, and an explosion. <laughs> <coughs> then they have to like, uh, like sling them, slingshot themselves around the moon. Yep, they did. They made a movie about that in the two thousands. That's pretty intense, honestly, to have to to be in that situation. It's like, yeah, you're probably gonna die out there, but like, we'll figure it out. And sure well, enough, they did. <laughs> we'll slingshot you around the moon and see what happens. It's like, what? It's like one minute you're like, yeah, we're gonna go to the moon. It's gonna be awesome. We're gonna stand on the moon and look at the earth and next thing you know it's like yeah uh this happened and you're very likely to lose all of your oxygen so like yeah we're gonna use gravity to get you home guys good luck though (laughs) (laughs) um hopping to the other side of the planet uh the united states invades cambodia because of vietnam things Cambodia gets it real rough. Yes, the Cambodian campaign is a series of military operations conducted in eastern Cambodia uh, by South Vietnam and the United States as an extension of the Vietnam War and the Cambodian Civil War. Good for them. Uh, The first jumbo jet, the Boeing 747, makes its debut commercial flight from New York to London. This is cool because we talked about the Boeing being... uh, crafted in the 1960s and here it is finally flying people uh and finally for 1970 43 nations ratify the nuclear non-proliferation treaty we won't nuke each other because mutually assured destruction Hoorah! oh yeah good old mutually assured destruction oh good old mutually assured destruction i mean if i die you die that's kind of how that works That is how that works, actually. January 1971, a ban on the television advertisement of cigarettes goes into effect in the United States. Really? They did that that early? I would have thought they did that later. Well, so 70s is cigarettes, and then 80s is drinking and driving. So Uh, it's at this point that we start to see kind of what happened in the 20s with Prohibition. Like, you had the angry soccer moms from Ohio, uh lobbying against the government you got that in the 70s and 80s against cigarettes drugs a, a lot of stuff that had happened in the 60s and and then in the 80s you get you get drugs and then again alcohol. <laughs> again <laughs> because you got you got reagan with uh you know putting this little message on the arcade machine says winners don't use drugs yes reagan's war on drugs that has a uh, forced us to be at war for what over 40 years now i don't even the u.s has spent half a decade or half a decade half a century in wartime that's a story for another day because that's a story for yeah 10 years right now reagan's still the governor of california that's right he's uh instead we get to deal with our best friend (sighs) ah President Richard Nixon ends the United States gold standard monetary policy known as the Nixon shock. It's pretty shocking. Yeah. Whoa. 
Yeah, he ends the gold standard and Did he ever explain why he did that? Uh let's let's check real quick. Because like I know that that happened, but like I never really figured out why they did that. It was in response to increasing inflation, um, which caused wage and price freezes, um, and then surcharges on imports and unilateral cancellation of the direct international Yeah, I'm not even gonna finish saying that that's yeah. too many words that too are many just, too many technical words too many technical words for something simple the united states dollar uh is not gold and thus nixon tried to end it being converted to gold because gold is not as valuable as the u.s dollar or gold is more valuable than the u.s dollar it wasn't an equivalent exchange when you were doing that um it's kind of weird because the origins of money was that like People were tired of lugging around gold. So, like, here, here's this piece of paper. It's like a gold voucher, and you can trade it in for gold. But now it's just like, you, you <laughs> we just, don't even want gold. We just want the piece of paper. You can't even trade it for anything. I mean, the idea of just looking at your bank account and it's literally just numbers. It's not actually real or anything. It's, it's just monopoly numbers. money. That's right. We all have lots of monopoly money. And everyone exchanges and happily has their monopoly money. And that's what the CIA wants. I jest. <laughs> that's what, uh, what do you call that? Um, you know what? I forget what they're called. I have no idea what you're talking about. The, uh, <laughs> they're like the bank that, that like prints all the money. But they're like, they're kind of part of the government, but they're like slightly like they're a private kind of bank. But I forget what they're called. But they're the ones that take. Is, I don't. I want to say it's the Treasury, but that's not right. The Federal Reserve. That's it. The Federal Reserve. I think. Yeah, the Federal Reserve um, is a part of the U.S. Treasury Department. Uh, the U.S. Treasury Department issues the writs. I guess would be the right word um, for the Federal Reserves to print. So the Treasury Department says print seventy-five billion dollars. And then the Federal Reserve's like, oh, okay. You got gonna... <laughs> And then it's some like of the their guy employees off... keep it. And... It's like the guy off the love boat's like, yeah, print some money. And they're like, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'll print more money. So uh, we're heading into February 1971. A 44-day raid into Laos uh, by South Vietnamese soldiers is begun, has begun. Um, with the aid of the United States Air and Artillery. So, our front on Vietnam. Vietnam isn't... It isn't a good thing that we did. No. And it's not a quick war either. No. I mean, we've been talking about Vietnam and everything leading up to Vietnam and all that for we've been talking a about, decade now. We've been talking about Vietnam for a few episodes now. Yeah, well, I mean, the second the Korean War was over, it's like, hey, you know, we kind of like those communists... Oh, something's happening in Vietnam. We'll come back to that when we go to war with them. But also, this is what's happening, which causes us to go to war. And Yeah, we've been talking about that to since the 50s. To stop the spread of communism. That's right. On the, also, other, on the other side of the world, where it wouldn't really affect us all that much. Hey, I mean, historically, anyone who's invaded Vietnam doesn't go over well. The Chinese failed. The Americans failed. I think the Indians did it at one point. They, they, prob they probably failed. Yeah, well, I, I know they failed. Whoever the third one was, because I... Uh, they're still there. 
<laughs> they're Vietnam, still there. They don't have Vietnam. Vietnam's still kicking. They don't have. They're not divided, but they're. They're still making my T-shirts. They make all sorts of stuff out there. Oh yeah. Well, and they're getting more and more Americanized. Ha <laughs> ha. Take that communism. Vietnam now has a McDonald's. We won. <laughs> that's how. That's how we know we won. Japan has McDonald's and like KFC and stuff, and now Vietnam has McDonald's. Oh, that's right. The uh, I, I believe there's actually a name for that, and I can't remember what it was called. Americanization? No, it, it has to deal with, it's like corporate colonization or something in which brands like KFC, for instance, is all over the world, and it is considered it's, American food. It's really weird how American culture has like kind of infiltrated other cultures. Oh, yeah. Like, especially, like, Japan, because, like, I mean, Japan does their own thing, but they, I feel like a lot of, like, American kind of, like, culture kind of, well, I, I use culture very loosely because America doesn't really, like, there's not really a lot of, we haven't been around enough to have, like, a proper, like, kind of culture, you know what I mean? Like a historical one, yeah. We still have we, a culture, but it's, our like. Cu- our culture is, ca- is like, brands and, like, blue jeans and stuff. <laughs> That's our culture. <laughs> And it's like, you know, it's in like Coca-Cola and whatnot. And like, it's just like, and we've, and you see it all over the world. It's just like, they kind of try to like, like they kind of take, borrow from like American kind of things. I don't know why. Like, why don't, it's like, we just, we're just ruining everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, so America does have like culture, but the culture it's, is it's, it's the very, mixing pot like a very loose kind of culture like it's not like where it's like you know if you go to let's say like i don't know like london or something and you see all the old parts and like and then you go to somewhere like germany and like that looks different than there because they have their own kind of culture going on you go to like europe they have their thing and then you go to like asia and then you go to like kind of the older parts and like all sorts of different parts and they have like a completely different thing and then you go to india and they have their own thing in Africa, they have their own thing, but America is just kind of like, it's not quite, I mean, it is kind of different, but it's just like, it's not very unique because like all the cities like look the same. <laughs> but living in a, living in the American society, American culture is your life and therefore you're not going to see it as culture. You're going to see it more as your daily life and interests. Yeah. Because that's a... That was something I learned in class. Wow. Um, one of one of my classes was talking about how you never view your own culture that you do as your culture, or at least when it comes to America, since uh, American culture is the predominant culture, um, at least in America, or like white culture is the predominant American culture, which means that we as white people don't really see it because it's the culture we live out anyways. And then it's hard. I think our culture is just like bits of other cultures we've just kind of like grabbed. So it's like. Yeah, and that's what makes it a mixing pot. Not necessarily the people because, you know, they teach you that in school that it's the people, but it's really not. It's the cultures of everyone else that's been assimilated into one culture and then just mixed, moved around a little bit to uh, have a bit more multiple cultures I, I don't know how to explain it it's just been america is weird 
Yes, America is <laughs> America is weird. That's that's the that's the long and short of it. <laughs> but ultimately, if you were from Japan and you came to America, you would notice American culture. It yeah. is a thing that exists. We don't notice it since we live here. But like, if you go to Japan, you notice Japanese culture. American culture is just not as historical as the rest of the world. Oh, I know, I know, pl- I know of plenty of Americans that really Ow. notice Japanese culture. Oh yeah, I. <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, though, Japanese culture that's depicted in anime isn't Japanese culture. It's like an exaggeration. Yeah, I mean, it's a cartoon. There's a meme that went around for a long time, and I'm sure you've probably seen it. Uh, when you go to Japan and they're not speaking with subtitles. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. <laughs> and it's, it's just this white guy standing in the middle of Tokyo like, wait a minute, this isn't like the anime. It's, it's uh. one, that's one of my favorite, <laughs> that's one of my favorite, like like, jokes about going to Japan. It's like when you go to Japan and there's no subtitles. <laughs> <laughs> because then you're just, you've got to rely on your own knowledge to understand and... I remember somebody told me they went, I think it was a teacher that had, they went to like Japan and they lived there for a while and they said that like after a certain amount of time of you living there, if you haven't learned the language, everyone will just pretty much shun you. (laughs) Like you have to learn, like if you're living there, like you gotta like, you know, if you're living there for an extended period of time, you, you know, you gotta, yeah, you gotta learn how to, you know, communicate there. I was going to say that that's not (laughs) rare for most countries. I think it was like someone in my like one of my middle school teachers, like my seventh grade history teacher's like, yeah, because he like he knew like all sorts like Japan, like you know he was like he would tell us like yeah, it's pretty much like a bunch of different alphabets, one of which is literally just the entire Chinese alphabet. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Mandarin. And like, but he said like yeah, I had to learn it because eventually like people slowly stopped talking to me <laughs> because <laughs> I had to learn it. Well, I'm just, I'm thinking since we're talking about it and we're on the subject, uh, I went to Guatemala when I was in high school and the, like I had to know Spanish or at least a decent amount to be able to communicate with people because a lot of the times like they don't speak English and you shouldn't expect them to because it's a Spanish speaking country. Uh Um, But when I was leaving, uh, we were all in the airport and we were looking around for food. It was late at night. Everyone was really hungry. A bunch of people bought stuff from like a deli stand inside the airport, and I walked towards the uh, the terminal where my airplane was going to be, and I saw McDonald's, and I was like, "Yes, I'm home." <laughs> Bought myself some Guatemalan McDonald's. It's actually pretty good. Did it taste like regular McDonald's? Oh yeah, it's just McDonald's. I mean, <laughs> it's just it, it felt a little bit more uh, prepared that makes sense like it just tasted crispier and better than it did in america uh, i would love to have <laughs> like other countries mcdonald's instead of american mcdonald's there's a noticeable difference yeah i think they do like different stuff too like when they have like they do crazy like limited things i think like japan they had like a squid ink like bun or whatever <laughs> oh for like squishy <laughs> yeah like i don't know if they like they they i don't know if it was like it was soaked in it, but they did it. It's like because the bun was like black, but they but they used squid ink or whatever to make it that way. Like when making like the Can bread, you eat squid ink. I think so. They they use it for like a lot of stuff. I don't know. There's all sorts of weird like dishes that I hear about and like from various parts of the world. I'm like, really? Like you know, like Rocky Mountain oysters. <laughs> 
although squid ink isn't poisonous, it may excuse me, it may carry some risks. Eating food made with squid ink can cause an allergic reaction similar to seafood allergy. If you have a shellfish or squid allergy, avoid anything with squid ink. <laughs> I mean, people do eat puffer fish. This is fair, but puffer fish has been cooked and the poison's been removed, or the toxin's been removed. But sometimes, but you have to like be extremely qualified to do it. Because if not, like if you don't remove the venom sac properly, there'll still be poison in the meat. Yes, and you will die. And sometimes, and this is this is very I don't this is I think this is completely just insane. But they leave some of the venom in for just like a tiny amount, like just the right amount. So like it, it's like it's like a sensation, like when you eat it, like a kind of like a tingly whatever. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm tingling. Head smacks against yeah, the table. It's like it's like how. <laughs> How cocky do you have to be? It's like, yeah, I'm qualified to basically make this food that only like a very small amount of people can make because if you don't make it right, you will literally kill the person you're serving. <laughs> and then like, yeah, I'm so good at this. I'm able to leave just enough poison and not to kill you. So if I wanted to, I could kill you. <laughs> like, kill you. Like, if you don't tip your waiters, I poison you. <laughs> It's like, why do people go to such great lengths to eat things they're not supposed to eat? I mean, some people are just it's like, unique. It's like, it's like hot peppers. Because, you know, because they're made, they're spicy because you don't want to eat them. Like, yes. they're, they're oh, yeah, yeah. But, but we don't care. <laughs> we're just like, yeah, we're going to make even <laughs> spicier peppers. We're going to make the spiciest peppers in the world just so we can eat them. I have never been a spicy kind of guy. I've never enjoyed it, ever. You know, I like spicy stuff, but sometimes like I can really take, I can really handle my spice, and sometimes I can't. Because there was a time where I could eat like really spicy stuff, and I would just be like slightly uncomfortable. But like last night, I ate like one little jalapeno slice, and I, but it was like a fresh cut like jalapeno, like it wasn't like you know like those weird like, dried out when they come out when they come in the jars and stuff. Yeah, but I was eating some pho, like the the soup, like the noodles. Mm-hmm. But, and it killed me. Like it, I, I was burned. Like there was like my eyes were running. I was like, "What? Am, it's like what is this? Like I can handle this? It's a jalapeno." <laughs> like Ow. I felt so bad about. Like I felt so inferior. I was like, "What happened to me?" Like a year and a half, like a, a year to a year and a half ago, I was eating like really spicy stuff. Well, your taste buds do change and die over time. Like I used to hate sausage and bratwurst and anything. Oh, I love that's like I used, irony. I used to not really like sausage like and bratwurst stuff and now i love i love bratwurst man bratwurst i think i've been i think i've just embraced my german heritage because <laughs> now i eat like you know like i really like german food now but like when i was if you talked to me like five years ago about eating any kind of german food i would have looked at you like you were crazy but i don't know Ooh, it's, it's weird how people's tastes change yeah i I've had many things change. The one thing that has not changed in my life is mashed potatoes. I love mashed potatoes. Didn't like them as a kid. Don't like them now. I used to hate them. I used to think they were weird. <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't taste them. I was just like, I looked at them. I was like, what is that? But now uh, I just like, I love mashed potatoes. I just got this picture in my head of you, like, staring at a plate that has mashed potatoes. And you're pointing at it with just this angry expression on my, or on my face, on your face. Like, you are not real. 
You taste weird. <laughs> I don't think I even tasted them. I just didn't like the way they looked. I don't. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, how perfect for the 70s. Uh, 1971. Uh, here we go. We're back. Uh, United States Supreme Court upholds the right of New York Times and the Washington Post to publish classified Pentagon papers. This is very important um, when it comes to the law because... Never ever has the government been able to censor the United or the United States uh, journalists and journalism before they publish anything. So what ends up happening here is the New York Times gets the Pentagon Papers and goes, "Oh, and uh, they say they're going to publish them." And Pentagon's like, <laughs> "No, you're not. These are classified." New York Times is like, yeah, we are. So they publish them, and the Pentagon, I believe, sues or uh, attempts to remove the New York Times publishment. However, by that point, it was already published, and so the Washington Post and various other places had picked up the news and posted their own take on the Pentagon Papers. And by that point, the U.S. Supreme Court says, hey, you, you can't do anything about this Pentagon. Like, once it is published, it is published, and you can't take back publishment. You can't do any of that. Um, never to this day have we seen the government uphold uh, any premature um, stopping of publishment. Uh, it, there you go. There's one of your rights you have, is you can publish... You can have information and say you're going to publish it, publish it, and nobody can stop you from publishing it until you've already published it. So, strange right to have, but it's great for journalists and That's what I'm talking news about. organizations. It's like, I'm going to publish this. You can't do nothing about it. And then they publish it, and it's like, oh, yeah, well, you're, we're going to do something about it. <laughs> now, now we're going to sue you for defamation. <laughs> <laughs> for slander. No, libel. it would be libel then if it was journalism. Incorrect. Thank you for... Uh, correcting me my, my teacher would hate me i uh were in a journalism news uh law class def defamation of character is part of it is that is slander and libel i think correct um it is libel for journalism because we take classes on how not to get sued for libel right here at otterbein only otterbein um so 1971 uh, we had that ban on radio and television for cigarettes. Next, um, the 26th Amendment is ratified, which allows 18-year-olds to vote. Also, you Woo. can't drink till you're 21. Uh. <laughs> what, a, what a terrible combination. Like, Okay, I understand the whole sense of we don't want a bunch of drunk 18-year-olds to go vote. But also, we're going to allow these 18-year-olds to vote and go die for the country, but they can't have a beer. It's just, what? And we still have that issue to this day. There's you're a lot of people that- too young to drink, but you're old enough to die. Exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Um, and no. the issue is, over the course, especially in the 80s, with the drinking stuff that ended up happening, our American culture has become so obsessed with drinking that drinking is just for fun. Yeah. And like it, it is just to get drunk and do stupid things and hurt people and if American culture in the 80s didn't go that way, we probably by now would have seen a repealing or at least an amendment 
to the 26th Amendment um, that would allow people to vote at 18 but also drink at 18. America loves its alcohol. America loves its alcohol so much they don't know how to control it. <laughs> no. Uh, prohibition didn't work out. People were still drinking. Okay, raising the drinking age doesn't matter. People are still drinking. Yeah, even underage, that doesn't stop. Like, oh, no, that doesn't stop them at young all. Young people, we are inventive. We will find a way. <laughs> that's what they said in the 80s. That's what they said in the 90s. That's what they're still saying today. It doesn't matter if we're 15, we're still going to be drinking. We don't encourage underage drinking. It's it's the rebellious nature of it. If, the, if you tell somebody who is young, they can't do something. They're going to want to do it. They're yep. going to do it because you said don't do it. Well, and because we don't live in the 1950s anymore where conformity <laughs> yeah. is needed. Um, I rewatched that video I talked about in the 1950s where um, it, it was like, I'm being bullied at school because of the way I look. Well, look like the rest of the people at school. Um, I rewatched that video, and it was a bunch of interviews from people in the 80s uh, put together for modern day and they were talking about how they were raised in the 50s and then showing 50s commercials. And it was very, very knowing more knowledge um, about the 50s than when I had previously watched it. It's a little bit eye-opening to see these parents quite literally brainwashing the kids in the 50s, telling them all these things about conforming and just staying a part of society. You know, it, I, I kind of had that same feeling when I watched uh, I watched Rebel Without a Cause because I was like, you know, because I, I, you know, it's James Dean, you know. I was like, I'd never seen it, and I was like, I got to watch it. It's iconic. But it was so weird to watch because, like, there was kind of heavy subject matter, you know, like it's kind of yeah. like – the dad is very kind of emasculated by the mom and like the dad's kind of like spineless. He won't stand up for himself and stuff like that. And like, but it's just a weird drama aspect of it being a fifties, a movie made in the fifties. And like, I was watching it. And I was like, this is such like the most 1950s thing I've ever <laughs> seen. <laughs> like the way people talk, the way people act. I'm like, this is like, it was a decent movie, but I was like, it was just this, there's this weird feeling of just like, because of just the you know just the culture of the 1950s, like just the whole uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, just the 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 idea. Yeah, the the aesthetic of that time. Uh, I get that feeling when I watch Streetcar Named Desire from 1951, where it's just so strange to see. Yeah. It just it just doesn't make sense. It's in like, my head. but when I watch like movies from like the '60s or like the '70s, I don't really quite get that feeling. Like I'm like, yeah, this is definitely a different time, but I'm just like, you know, it's like if I watch, it's like if I watch House on Haunted Hill, or I watch, but it's like a different feeling from when I watch like Halloween. Yeah. So I think something that was very important um to talk about for like the 50s to modern day is since the 50s was so the 50s was really really focused on um not even just conformity but being an adult so as a child you get to run around and play around but like your dad would tell you hey stop i'm home from work i don't want to deal with this right now yeah. All that type of stuff that makes you 
need to find things to do and it would force you to grow up faster and a lot of those people who grew up in the 50s didn't really have a good childhood and, uh, and in addition to that, it's like in the 50s, there's like this kind of like the whole American dream thing, you know, and like yeah. the idea of that. And then in the 60s, it kind of transformed into like, you know, you had a lot of people going out and trying to find the American dream. It's like, you, and that's, that's like something that's uniquely American because you don't see people in England going out and driving all over England to find the English dream <laughs> or the German dream or the Russian dream or whatever. It's like that's something that only happened in America. And like and I don't and then but then like, you know, with the whole like the Democratic National Convention and stuff like that, all that heavy stuff and the in Altamont and you know the Manson stuff, it's like you're kind of seeing the American dream just kind of like being completely snuffed out. And by the 70s it was just complete like from the 50s to the 70s, like this the 50s were just like, "Oh, yes, America and blah blah, you know." Like a lot of, like dream American dreams, and then by the seventies it was just complete disillusionment. Yeah, the great generation, um, the generations in the forties and fifties, they got to live out an American dream, and they ruined it for the rest of us. Everyone else's American dream, because they heard from their parents at the time from the forties and fifties, hey, you can live this out. We lived it out. It was perfect for us. We had a wonderful life besides the war. And it's and like it was a great time, and it kind of transformed. It's like it it went from being having a house in the suburbs with a white picket fence and two and a half kids and yada yada yada, and then by the you know the sixties it was like well, what it's like it can't be just that we got to find out what it really means. So you have all these people exploring and stuff like that, and then by the seventies it was just like that wasn't really happening anymore. You know? Yeah, it, a lot of the people it, had learned their lesson while exploring and like, realized it wasn't great like it's kind of like in like fear and loathing in las vegas like they're just like hunter s thompson goes to vegas to report on like a motorcycle race or whatever and he just gets completely sidetracked and just doing a lot of drugs and all this other crazy stuff and he's trying to find the american dream but it's just like he didn't find it <laughs> just, yeah well it, and he kind of talks about just like the whole like how the 60s just kind of like completely just kind of hemorrhaged by the end and whatnot and just all this stuff all those people looking for a good life and it ends with such a bad turnaround and then for the, a lot of them and the 70s is when you the start 70s seeing... just gets really like by the end of the 60s like the crack started the show and by the 70s it just got it just really kind of got out of hand yeah well i that brings up do we see Ah, I see. That's 1980s. Never mind. I was about to say AIDS and HIV and all that stuff. That started in the 60s and 70s, but that's... we still got a decade to go. So a lot, a lot of those people are getting sick at this point, but nobody knows what it is. Um, the 70s. What a depressing decade. Good for music. It is. There's a lot of good music from the 70s. Starts off pretty poor. Surprisingly, these people all died of drug overdoses and not plane crashes. I don't, I don't know how these people, you know, <laughs> went about it, but... Like I said, it was just people just started doing heavier stuff. Um, so, that actually finishes out 1971, I believe. Uh, the... Oh, here's a, here's a thing. Um, our supreme leaders, uh, the Disney Corporation, uh, they opened Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida. 
Woo. All hail. 1972. We're starting off strong. Richard Nixon visits China. Uh, he is attempting to make a formal normalization of relations between the United States and China. Basically, at this point, uh, America and China hate each other because, you know, China's communist and they're evil and terrible. And America is like, hey, you're evil and terrible and communist and we don't like you. And then the Chinese are like, hey, you're evil and terrible and capitalist and we don't like you. Uh, so Nixon tried to talk to the Chinese and start to make some form of diplomatic relation between the two countries. But we've eh, seen how that goes. Um, the Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty is signed with the USSR. Uh, this is very important because Red Scare, everyone's afraid of nukes. And by saying, okay, we're not going to use intercontinental ballistic missiles on you guys. Uh, you know, naturally, it, it still might end up happening anyways. Um, we didn't really have any uh, assurance until the Berlin Wall falls. But it's a good step. 1972, Jackie Robinson dies. 1972, Watergate scandal. Uh, five men arrested for the burglary of the Democratic National Committee headquarters at the Watergate office complex in Washington, D.C. That was a hotel. Watergate. Oh, yep, it is a hotel. I wonder if there was a business complex inside of the hotel. You know what's weird about... Because I remember when we went on the D.C. trip. I remember... Uh, we were at like the Kennedy kind of like Memorial Center or whatever. And then literally right next, like we were standing on the balcony and right next to like some, like I think one of the teachers or whatever was like, oh yeah, there's water, there's the Watergate Hotel over there. And I was like, I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just, it doesn't feel real a lot of the times because a Watergate is just. It's a really weird thing. And it's weird that <laughs> Nixon like was like he ordered having everything be recorded in the oval office and like the white house and stuff and it's like it's like man you you incriminated yourself yeah bud. you you set yourself up for your own demise <laughs> it's like you could have just like not done that and you he might have gotten away with it i'm not saying he should have gotten away with it cuz like you know nixon's like a he's he's kind of a complex character you know <laughs> Very... What a good way to describe Richard Nixon, <laughs> a complex like, character. I kind of respect the fact that he kind of came from like nothing, and he like really worked his way up to it, and like you know and whatnot. You know, it's like that's kind of like the American dream things. Like you kind of, you know, just rags the riches kind of thing, making it to the presidency. But he, I did not, I did not really agree with a lot of the stuff. The old old Nixon did I gotta say so uh Nixon June 17th 1972 five burglars are arrested um in the office of the Democratic National Committee um which is located in the Watergate complex of buildings in Washington DC so that's where Watergate and Watergate Hotel and all that happens um what happened was they were connected to the Richard Nixon re-election campaign uh, and they had been wiretapping phones and stealing documents. Nixon tries to cover this up. But the Washington Post, Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, um, revealed this, uh, revealed his role 
as an active agent in the conspiracy. And just as things are starting to heat up, in 1974, Richard Nixon resigns. He is the only president to have resigned. I'll be damned. Yeah. Um, and he is no longer the only president to be impeached either. Or did he... F- Sorry. So impeachment, for those of you who don't know, um, an impeachment is bringing bringing a case against or a legitimate case against a president um, or a standing politician. So the reason this is important, because most people think impeachment means removal from office, and that is incorrect. Uh, Impeachment is the bringing of charges against an elected official. Impeachment is the first step. Impeachment is the first step. Yes, correct. So what's important here is they took the first steps and he's like ah not good he would have if he stuck around he probably would have absolutely gotten removed from office and yeah and and arrested and put in federal prison the thing is and i think that's why he resigned because he knew that that was what exactly was going to happen to him so he knew that was going to happen he resigns and uh the person who takes over was it agnew um, was it pardons him, or maybe it was the next president? Was Who it Ford? I feel like it was Ford. Who pardoned Richard Nixon? Uh, was it Gerald Ford? It was Gerald Ford, September eighth, nineteen seventy four, and Watergate. Uh, so no Spiro Agnew didn't. He didn't. I don't know. He didn't take over for Nixon. Yeah. Well, Agnew. I think it was only in the first election cycle for Nixon. Um, Yeah, so about a month later, after uh, the resignation from office, Ford gets put into office and then gives a full and unconditional pardon to Richard Nixon. Mm. So that was another reason to resign, because his VP was going to give him a pardon anyways, and, you know, he get to... uh, live comfortably the rest of his life because in America there's such thing as double jeopardy and you are not allowed to do double jeopardy which is basically if you run over a person tomorrow and the court says you didn't do it and you get acquitted for it how'd you know I did that I'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) what Um, but uh, if that happens then and you the, the, the charges are dismissed and then court says this didn't happen or you know this is wrong or we're not going to arrest you for this those same charges cannot be brought up against you um, however if you were to go and run over someone the next day they could recharge you so what's really important here is when nixon gets um when he gets pardoned for all of those bad things that he had done in his election <laughs> cycle double jeopardy goes into effect and nobody he's untouchable yeah. Like any of those things that had happened to him or that he had done that were super highly illegal, couldn't do anymore. Or, or sorry, couldn't do anymore, couldn't be tried for anymore, which sucks. Yeah. I mean, imagine this. You do something absolutely awful, like equally as bad as Richard Nixon and Watergate and just wiretapping all those people. And then you get arrested for it and sent to trial. But when he does it, as president of the United States, he gets a get-out-of-jail-free card. That sucks, man. We hold our politicians to higher standards than our own citizens. When they are 
flawed men with hubris, men and women, sorry, with hubris, <laughs> just like any other. Yes, I mean, are the politicians, especially in history and especially in the 1970s, act as though they're above the people. Um, and That's a very dangerous mindset. <laughs> looks at the 1800s and the 1700s with all the revolutions. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, we saw it in Haiti, we saw it in France, we saw it in America, we've seen it in England. We've seen it in France several times. We've seen it in France several times, correct. Well, France. France, they actually, like, they have the right to riot. The revolution that happened Because they've... Because they've had to dis- so many times. They've had to dismantle their government so many times. So they're just like, yeah, if you want to riot, like it, you can do that if you want. Well, so what's beautiful about France and their revolution is they had that revolution, um, and then they, within eighty years, have a king sitting on the throne again. So their their uh, government falls down. Um, because that revolution had to deal with Napoleon because Napoleon came through and blah, blah, blah. And after Napoleon's getting chucked away from the throne, um, the king takes over, who is related to the Antoinettes um, because he was the closest you know, uh, descendant of the Antoinettes. Um, I guess they just didn't do the, the same. I guess they, they didn't quite take notes from Russia yet because Russia yeah, oh, just, or maybe Russia, Russia took notes from everyone else. They're like, you know what? We're just gonna kill all of the royal people, <laughs> and none of them are going to escape. So, fun fact: uh, the June Rebellion, um, Les Mis portrays the June Rebellion and not the French Revolution. So, the June Rebellion is what happens after that king steps up, and people are like, "Why do we have a king again? We just overthrew them." Literally in my own lifetime. (laughs) What did we just do? Why did we let Napoleon take over? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. He was a cool guy. He was cool at first. Yeah, I mean, he he took over the world and all that. So what a what a guy. What a what a unique individual. Good old fellow. I always wondered why he put his hand in his coat. Uh, it was a it's like a, a sign of distinction. Well, there was that, and he had pain. In his stomach. So generally, what he was doing was he was holding his stomach because you know when you get hurt or you're in pain or Why injury of some sort, you hold on to the wound to try and uh, make the pain go away or lessen it. Why would they always put that in all of his paintings? Oh, I have no idea. And he's not it actually. It had to have been. It had to have been something more than that. Like I feel like it was like a symbol of something. I remember I saw a video about, it, but I don't remember anything about it. Why does Napoleon put his hand in his shirt? I've heard a million things. He had heartburn. He had digestive problems. He did it because he was. It looked cool. Ah, the pose appeared and uh, the pose appeared by the 1750s uh, to indicate leadership in a calm and firm manner. The pose is often most associated with Napoleon I of France due to its use in several portraits made by his artist, Jacques-Louis David. Um, And it's so cool looking, though. (laughs) It just (laughs) looks so cool. Well, that's the idea is, you know, indicate leadership in a calm and firm manner to show that you have it in control. 
he he looks like a man in control, Napoleon. Oh, he was a man in control. And I feel bad that people say he's short because he's actually average height of that time. Yeah, well, so it was English propaganda. Um, it was freaking English. I was going to say, those English dogs. So it was English propaganda to make him seem like a short, angry, fiery-headed person, and he wasn't that way at all. Uh, the reason being that there's just so many people just walking around. <laughs> Hello, people. Hi. Oh, yeah. um, Hello. <laughs> That's the one thing about this studio is there's so many like glass windows. I get very distracted with the reflections everywhere. So uh, with good old with good old Napoleon, um, the English slandered him a bunch, and the goal was to basically make world war. Um, the Prussians, the French, the English, all of them would eventually go to war with Napoleon. Because Napoleon was very, very famous for multiple things. And we talked about him in the first episode uh, in the 1900s. Um, but I'll just bring it up real quick. The way he does his supply lines and the way he would attack people. Because he would he would have a force of like 5,000 men. And the enemy would have like ten or 15,000. And what he would do was he would split his force into multiple segments. So then the enemy would split their force into multiple segments. And then as the enemy did that his entire force would regroup to fight the smaller forces. So the enemy at 10,000 splits their groups into uh, like 5,000 and 5,000. Napoleon would have 2,500 against 5,000, and then he'd bring 2,500 together, so it'd be 5,000 v. 5,000, which makes a much better fight. Um, and that's how he conquered Europe. <laughs> And everyone was like, we're sick and tired of losing to Napoleon Bonaparte. And uh, then we it's had like the Bottor, uh, Battle just, of Waterloo. Maybe you should just get better. <laughs> well, the best thing is, the Battle of Waterloo, Napoleon almost won. If he had simply moved his forces in a different direction, he would have beat the Prussians and the Eng er, English. Yes. Um, which is, you know, it's considered his worst defeat because it is. That's the turning point of the war, and that's where he starts losing everything. But... Simply, he could have beaten the Prussians and the English, because the Prussian and the the Prussians, who are the Germans, by the way, for people who don't know, uh, and the English hate each other anyways. Um, so they were very conflicted during that battle. Yeah. And if Napoleon had put his forces right in the middle of the English and the Prussians, and then focused on the English, because the Prussians were arriving later into the battle. Napoleon would have beat the English, turned around, had the Prussians to fight, and would have had an even chance. But instead, he allowed them to unite and then fight against him, and he loses. Good old Napoleon. I love Napoleon. What a what a what, what a, a brilliant general until he wasn't. What a man. What a man. One mistake ruined his entire life. That sucks. <laughs> uh, so, nineteen seventy-two. Woohoo! We're back. Uh, U.S. presidential election, 1972. Um, Richard Nixon is re-elected president, um, and Agnew is re-elected vice president. I don't think that's true. I think I think that's wrong. Um, 1972, because Watergate had just happened, and the trials and all of that doesn't get released until 1974. Um, so 1972, he's re-elected. Uh, we get the Apollo 17 flies to the moon, becomes the last manned mission to Mars. Um, Mars. <laughs> moon. To the moon, not to Mars. Um, then we go into... Uh, 
Actually, I think that's about it. Bangladesh becomes independent from Pakistan. We are still seeing 20, 30 years after uh, World War II and the Nazis and the English starting to release all their territories, and especially Japan. Uh, well, the Nazis didn't have a choice, and neither did Japan. But uh, everyone's starting to rebel and revolt. We are still seeing 30 years later into the 70s all of that happening. Um, Richard Nixon makes the first trip as a U.S. president to Moscow. This guy is doing a lot of things. He's, he's really working on his relations, China and Moscow, China and Soviet Union. Uh, the week of the summit, discussions would lead to a strategic arms pact, which is known as SALT-1. Uh, it was signed by Nixon and Brezhnev on May 26th. On July 8th, the White House would announce the sale of American wheat to the Soviet Union. So we're taking steps forward. Um, 1973, the Secretariat wins the Triple Crown in horse racing. This had a movie named after it called The Secretariat. It came out in the past decade. That's a weird name for a horse. The Secretariat? Yeah, Secretariat. I... There you go. Yeah, I I wonder why... Secretariat, also known as the Big Red, was a champion. Yeah, why was it called the Secretariat? I don't know. I don't know. Horses just, like, race horses, they always give them just really strange, strange names. names. Just random out of nowhere. Like Mystic. Mystic. There's I. Mystic. This is my horse. Her name is Mystic. And she's very fast, and this little tiny man is going to go ride her. <laughs> You're wondering why I named her Mystic. So am I. I don't know. <laughs> I just I just I just pull out a dictionary and I take random words and <laughs> throw them together and get a name. That's uh, that's that's provided some really good names. <laughs> Over <laughs> this That's how the Grateful Dead got their name. Uh so Nixon and Agnew begin their second terms, um, nineteen seventy three. <laughs> I, I love this. Whoever wrote this did not write it very well. Former President Lyndon B. Johnson dies in Stonewall, Texas of his third and final heart attack. <laughs> it was the Lyndon B. Johnson ranch that he died on. So he died of his third and final heart attack. It's, a, uh, it, it's repetitive to say that he dies in Stonewall, Texas, and he dies of his third and final heart attack. He um, dies. But, he dies. He dies. State funeral for Lyndon B. Johnson. What year are we in right now? 1973. Okay. The the next thing that happens, and oh boy, is this still controversial to this day. Roe v. Wade, Supreme Court ruling, overturns state laws against abortion. So 1973, uh, Roe v. Wade, basically states were given the chance to, or given the chance, yeah, the opportunity to create their own anti-abortion laws. Um, saying, you know, heartbeat bills and blah, blah, blah. Um, and Roe v. Wade as a, uh, as a Supreme Court case basically says, yeah, states, you don't get to do that. Um, which is what's very interesting in Texas. Not going to get into that until we get into like modern day. Um, but that's very, very interesting because of the way the Texas law is written. Um, the Paris Peace Accords end, um, 
I read that wrong. The Paris Peace Accords ends direct U.S. involvement in the Vietnam War. Uh, the Senate Watergate hearings begin in 1973, highlighted by Fred Thompson's discovery of Nixon's secret tapes. Skylab is launched as the USA's first space station. Vice President Agnew resigns in disgrace as part of a plea bargain. Ford, uh, Gerald R. Ford from Michigan. So I was right and I was wrong. Agnew resigns. Ford takes over. Um, he is the first person to be appointed vice president under the 25th Amendment to the Constitution. Hmm. And then Nixon steps down and Ford, you know, pardons him. 1974. 1973, the Watergate scandal. President Nixon fires two attorneys general. And their appointed acting attorney general replacement fires the Watergate special prosecutor over uh, disposition of the secret tapes. And then 1973 to 1974, this is just right on the cusp, like the very end of December into January. Uh, the United States is affected by the Arab oil embargo, which causes gasoline prices to skyrocket as supplies of gasoline and heating oil are in short supply. In response... Excuse me. Daylight savings time is started in January, nearly four months earlier than it usually would be, which had been started in the 1960s. The national speed limit is lowered to 55 miles per hour, which is very interesting uh, because we still kind of have that to this day. It's the national, like the, the the top, like that's the cap. Yeah. Is that like a federal thing, or is that like just like? It's federal. That's it's national. Right now. It's got like, you know, like 70 miles per hour. Well, limit. so at the time, the speed limit was 50. That was the highest you could go. Oh. Now it is 70. Um, that is your national speed limit. However, Ohio, or not Ohio, uh, Oklahoma has 70 to 80 miles per hour because it's, you know, there are places that pass 70, but like the national limit is 70. I may be 70, but they, they let you go a little faster than that. I'll tell you what. <laughs> they let you go a little faster than that. I can, um, I'm speaking from experience. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if you ever have seen pictures from this time period of the oil embargo, um, 73 to 74, where there's just pictures. And we've seen it actually this past year, 2021, of people just in lines out the gas stations. Oh. Um, just hundreds of cars sticking out of a gas station. I went to Erie, Pennsylvania, um, and we skipped uh, one of our episodes. Well, we skipped four. We skipped that week. And while I was there, I was riding around um, with the person I was going to visit, and he was showing me around, and he pointed out a gas station. And he goes, that's the cheapest gas in town. Also, it's a two-hour wait. And as we drove by, I saw the line circled around the building and out onto the main road where people would have to go into the other lane to pass these people. And it was like just very trafficked that and is very un- scary to see. That is unreal. That it, I I was shell-shocked. I'm like, I thought this happened in the 70s, not 2021. You'd be surprised. I, I'm just genuinely surprised. Like the more stuff that I learn from the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and even the 40s a little bit, uh, the more I realize, wow, that stuff is still happening in modern day. It's very, very cyclical history. Very, very cyclical. 
And ultimately, this type of stuff, uh, the 1973 Arab oil embargo, um, that type of stuff happening is the reason why America decides to start interfering in the Middle East. Because you have, I was about to say thousands of people, but no, not even just that, hundreds of thousands, millions of people who are unable to get gas to keep the economy going. So what are you going to do if they ever do it again? Well, ultimately, you want governments in there that are friendly with you, so that way that never happens. So you're going to have to go in and overthrow a lot of those people who don't have those types of governments. And it's just very interesting because a lot of the times people look at um, like 9-11 and the Patriot Act and a lot of that stuff that happens in the 2000s. Um, and I was going into Iraq and Iran and Middle East wars um, simply because of simply because of terrorism um and we got to find them but we went in without a clear goal and ultimately the u.s has benefited from it um and also you know not uh but we benefited from it uh because of oil and that's why we see like the gulf war um a, a lot of stuff america has had to do recently is because of oil because it is a finite resource um, and we are much larger than the Middle East. And when it comes down to it, America would rather see America with oil than uh, the Middle East with oil. I mean, it's like when you're playing with your toys and your friend comes over and they ask for the toy you are specifically playing with. And you're like, uh, no, <laughs> I'm playing with this toy. And that's, that's basically how world politics go on a global scale is hey can i have that no well <laughs> i want it and then you get into a whole like 30 year argument and then you get into war <laughs> i was gonna say 30 year argument millions of deaths civilian casualties all of that w what a wonderful time ain't is a what's the, i don't know what that song is by john mellencamp ain't that america <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, what a what a time to be alive. Um, the, the 1970s, that is. Uh, I'm glad I wasn't born in this decade. My dad was 1979. I think my mom was born in 72. My dad was born in 67, though. He was born in the summer of love. I was going <laughs> to say, I'm like, yeah, there you go. What a, what a time. What a time to be alive. Very interesting time. Uh, back to Vietnam. Four-part Vietnam peace pacts, the Paris Peace Accords, which we just talked about, um, and basically the announcement of the military draft ending. Uh, the last U.S. military troops leave on March 29th, 1973. We are finally out of Vietnam. Oh, that took a while. Took long enough. Yeah, that took good old 10 years. Yeah, um, and even before then, because we were getting involved earlier, we just decided to go to war 10 years before. So, uh, terrible, terrible time. Awful. Yeah. Um, Agnew, the reason he resigns is because uh, he was charged with tax evasion. <laughs> so he's like, uh, I'm going to leave now. Uh, because if he gets found guilty of tax evasion and illegal crimes while in office, so he's Nixon. done for. Yeah. I, I mean, I imagine he did it to save his own tail, but also to save Nixon, because at the time, they were just having the hearings. It wasn't, you know, the American public was super divided. Like, the whole 
what's happened in the past two, three years with the Trump impeachment stuff. Super divisive in America. And same thing, 1973, super divisive. Because you had the people who were like, well, this isn't true. Like, Nixon wouldn't do that. He's, he's my boy. And then you had the people who were like, yeah, that's true. Nixon would do that. Um, and now, looking back in history, we know it was true. So that's what's really interesting about history is we are we are quite literally living history. And in 10 years, if this podcast is still going on, we can be sitting here, probably not here, but uh, we can be sitting in a booth somewhere and talking about how, oh, yeah, so if you remember in 2020, 2021, uh, or sorry, 2019, 2020, we talked about the Trump stuff um, and blah, 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 and this is how it happened, and this is what we know to be true now 10 years later, and this is the scandals and stuff that happened in, like, 2022 and 2023. And <laughs> it's funny how that works because we are everyone right now, and this is, this is going to make you feel like brain blast. You are living in history. We and are. Every single thing that is happening right now that seems so very important. I had that feeling like a lot like last year, like during yes. all the COVID and like the marches yes. and stuff and like the protests. And I was like, I was looking around and I was just like, this is a very, this is a very important thing that's happening right now. Just like for better or for worse, just all this messed up, really heavy stuff going on. I was like, this is something that. I feel like people are not going to forget about for a long time. So with this series, I'm planning on going up until 2020. Um, so you're going to get that feeling, and everyone listening is going to get that feeling really bad once we hit 2000 to 2010 and then 2010 to 2020 because I, I'm not looking at it from, like, this is right, this is wrong politically, this is what happened, blah, blah, blah. I'm looking at it more from a historian standpoint. So the way that we're going to talk about it is going to make people feel old um, because we're going to talk about 2015 and like 2016. We're going to talk about 2012, the presidential election and like what came from that. And it's not going to be from a political point of view of like it was good to have Obama or it was bad that Romney lost or whatever. It, it, it's going to be more of just straight facts and how this affected world history. And every time that happens, um, especially if I ever talk with friends about it, it really blows people's minds to be like, yeah, well, 2012, that was, oh, no, that was nine years ago. Yeah. <laughs> that was nine years ago, and now we are talking about what happened when, how old was, oh, 12, duh. I was born 1999. I was like, how old am I? Oh, wait, 2012, that means I was 12. So it, it'll be very interesting to talk about it like I was a 12 year old at the time living it and I was starting to get involved with politics and I was interested in that stuff when I was 12 and like just beginning just becoming interested and now I'll be as a 21 year old talking I'm not 21 anymore 22 oh no <laughs> oh, that hit really hard right there I was, I'm gonna stop <laughs> I remember when I was 12 that's when I really started to get well, I was always into music, but that's when I, 2012 was when I really kind of started to get really into learning about the history of, like, music and, like, musicians and stuff, because we had to do a report on on something, like, a, and I chose to do Johnny Cash, and I don't remember why or for what reason, but that's what I did, and I read a book about him, and then after that, I just proceeded to learn about everybody else I could possibly learn about. <laughs> <laughs> 
That was like me. My my first I mean, musical always, love was Michael Jackson. I mean, that's kind of what I did. I was always into history and stuff, like, but f- not for music. It was like different subjects. Like I would get obsessed with different just things, and I would want to learn a lot about. Them. Like when I was a kid, when I was really young, the earliest I can remember was penguins. I loved <laughs> penguins, and I learned so much about penguins, and I don't remember anything. And then. It was the Titanic. I thought that was really interesting, so I learned a lot about that. Then it was baseball, and I learned a lot about history of baseball and stuff because there's honestly some really crazy stuff that happened in baseball, especially like 100 years ago. <laughs> that would explain why you knew so much about uh, the guys who were throwing the games. Yeah, the, uh, the the Black Sox scandal. Yes. Yeah, I learned a lot about that too, like Shoeless Joe Jackson and stuff like that. And... It kind of sucked because I don't think he really wanted to be a part of that. But anyway. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah, he's a cool guy. But he's still like not allowed to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame after all that. It's like he's he's still not allowed to be in there because he was involved in that, which kind of is unfortunate. Well, I mean, that brings up the question, bad stuff that's happened in history, did, should that follow you the rest of your life? Do you ever grow up and change as a person or like – Cause I think I like to think so because like you learn a lot about because especially like now like I mean mostly a lot of the history I learned is through learning about the history of like music and stuff yeah because especially like in the mid twentieth century a lot of like music and like pop culture and also just like world events and like history like really start to the lines really start to blur around that time so. That's how I learned so much about the 60s and like Well, and a lot of those musicians who didn't die of drug overdoses but still had a rough time aren't really that way anymore. Yeah. Um especially the older they've gotten, they're just they they're not their young selves where they were just running around drugs. It was just they're just not that way anymore. Some no. of them are. Some of them S- definitely are. The but. salad days are gone. <laughs> but uh <laughs> Anyway, I forgot what I was talking about. Uh, history. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but you 1974. Do, you do kind of learn about that stuff because it's like, it's like they always say, if you don't learn your history, you know. So we've you're said this. you doomed to repeat it. you doomed to repeat it. That's right. We're and it's like you kind of look at the world and it's like this has happened. This exact thing has happened but slightly differently this amount of time ago. And it's happening again. Yep. And it's like you look around, it's like nothing... If there's one thing you learn about learning a lot about history, it's that nothing, nothing changes. It may, I mean, things, (laughs) things do get different, but overall, nothing really changes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, one of the things to think about when you're studying history is, never be surprised by anything because once you read oh my god like this slave rebellion in haiti or america or even back in rome spartacus all of all of those it's cyclical like when you you know going on the subject when you have slaves they're going to rebel over time 
because you can't treat people that way. And when you have this great nation like Rome or China, you're going to fall and it's going to get worse. And yes, China has fallen multiple times in history. It's just it's able to recollect itself pretty well. And it's like, especially in like America and stuff like that, like, you know, you kind of see like the whole, you see all these protests and, you know, for like civil rights and all this other stuff and against war. And then you look at it like around like, I don't know, especially like last year or even like 10, 15 years ago. It's the same thing. They're protesting pretty much the same thing they've been protesting 50 years ago. And yeah. because nothing changed. Yeah. I mean, it goes under different names and it's different methods, but the same cycles of oppression. And it doesn't matter on who, because a lot of people are oppressed in the world, but in different ways, we're all kind of under somebody's thumb, like as people against, you know, cause there's always, there's always a bigger fish. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's always a bigger fish. We're always under, like, and we're all under somebody's thumb. I don't know who, but we are, and it doesn't change. Welcome to the very depressing episode in the 1970s. How very fitting for it to be the 1970s, though, which is a depressing decade anyways. It's like, I'm not saying I like to be pessimistic, but it's just like, it's, well, it's, 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 it's like, it's frustrating. It's like, why? It's like, we try to do so much stuff, and we think we're doing something, but then, like, and we and we do something. I'm not saying like we like all of our all of those efforts over the years are all for naught because you know things that'd be too nihilistic because things come out of them. But I feel like the same oppression is just like it's just a different method of it. Well, so the real way to change would be the people at the top doing the changing, and that's not going to happen because then they wouldn't be at the top. The idea isn't like in modern day. A lot of race issues, a lot of um, it's like political it's race issues. issues, even drug problems like the opioid crisis. That's been going on for it's been, <laughs> it's been going on for decades and decades exactly. and decades. And it's like, and I think, and especially that specifically, the opioid thing, it's something you have to start at from the bottom of the pyramid, because the you know the junkies and the addicts. Those are the one. Those that's the part that really makes the machine go, because without them, there is no crisis. Yep. And I mean, there's no one going and and buying all of the in trying to get all of these different substances. They're not see, if they're not coming back anymore, then there is no you know there's no machine to run. I also look at it a bit as enableism, um, where the people up top. Like, you, you said it yourself, it was the CIA that introduced LSD and a lot of other drugs in the 60s. And, and even and even in the 80s, with the, with the crack, you know, crack being introduced in the poor-income neighborhoods and stuff like that, yep. yet at the same time, Ronald Reagan's trying to say, hey, don't do crack, don't do drugs, drugs are bad, but I'm still going to, under my administration, my, the CIA is going to introduce these hard drugs into these lower-income neighborhoods because I don't know. Yeah, that's that's the whole thing is the people at the top are always the ones that are ruining for the people at the bottom or anywhere else on the pyramid. It's like, you know, there, I don't know what to do, but I think there, there needs to be some sort of, like, revolution. I don't mean, like, a violent kind of revolution, but I mean, like, a revolution in the sense of, like, 
things need to kind of be done different. You have the sentiment of a lot of people, um, especially modern day, but especially like 1960s, hippies felt that way. Things need to be done. Things need to be changed, and nothing really happened. And that's it's like there is kind of like a bit of a, a fire in my belly about it. <laughs> it's not a it's not a raging fire, but it's like it's just a it's just I like look around at all of the the powers that be, and I'm just like, why? What are you doing? Yeah, it's like you're like, doing the same crap for the last I don't know how many years, like 200 years, and it's like. It's like, why are we taking this crap? <laughs> so I, why? using the example of drugs um, and the 80s, when you as a person in charge, the oppressor, the guy at the top, the capitalist, whatever name you want to label them, if you give the people who are lower on the pyramid the means to help themselves, they will help themselves and overthrow you. So that's why it was important that CIA or Reagan or, you know, whoever it is that's at the top decides to introduce these things and then fight against it. It makes you struggle against yourself. So in modern society with Republican versus Democrat, the sense of it's Democrats who did bad or it's the Republicans who did it bad. And the people who are in power right now. Um, or the people who are in power in this time period, I should say, want that to happen because then they get away with a lot of stuff that passes through Congress because we're so focused on our own political turmoil or political differences that we don't see that, oh, you know, we just had a, you know, billion dollar embezzlement thing or this person just assassinated a leader in the Middle East again and well again <laughs> assassinate another leader i should say in the middle east and they're going to get away with it because we're so focused on you know uh issues that are important but are going to always be there because the people up top realize we'll squabble about them with other people for centuries <laughs> real change will never happen welcome to history class folks <laughs> That's true. <laughs> how but, how depressing. But the biggest problem with that is apathy. Because yes. a lot of people are just like, you know, it's like, I don't like this, but they just kind of like, you know, instead of doing something about it and acknowledging that it is, it's just like, I want something to be done, but I want somebody else to do, to it. do it. And they're yeah. just like, mm-hmm, sit around, just like, it's not going to happen. It's like, everybody's got to come together and mobilize if you have and the problem is is that we is that people will you know there's one leader that stands up a spokesperson if you will that's like i'm gonna make a change and i'm gonna make a difference and i'm gonna and it's gonna happen and then everyone rallies behind them you know the powers that be they see that it's like well that's their leader we're gonna take him out yep malcolm x malcolm x mlk even John F. Kennedy. I was going to say any of the Kennedys. Because John F. Kennedy wanted to abolish the CIA. And then he got assassinated literally in the middle in broad daylight in front of everybody. And so, that's like, and if that, and that's not coincidental. That's like, <laughs> that is an example being made. That is like, you want to try to like. Mess you, with the CIA. And the you CIA mess was with, the people in charge of the investigation, which is it's like, the you wanna, irony to me. It's like, you want to take on the machine? This is what's gonna happen. Like this is this is what it gets you. It's like it's it's not. It's like that's the problem. It's that we have 
we we depend on leaders when we should be depending on each other because like if it's a whole bunch of people doing this doing that you know the the kind of revolutionary kind of thing not like smashing stuff up revolution but actually kind of infiltrating the system and making change you know like there's younger and younger people getting into congress and stuff and that's awesome and i love that because congress and like you know in other government jobs are it's all old people that like they're out of touch and that's yeah. not a bad thing you know they're there's you know they they've spent their lives in that field and they probably know more than a lot of people but they don't know how stuff works now when you get very into um your generation i should say when when you follow along like the zoomers in 40 50 years or i guess it's going to be more like 60 70 when the zoomers are in charge of the nation the young people are going to be saying the same thing about the zoomers so, so yeah. the issue is our government is designed for us for it to be very slow so the idea of us going up through government is going to be very, very slow, which is why a lot of these people spent their entire lives to get here, which means they spent their entire lives to get here, and put so much also, money away, and they're finally there, and they're, it's ruined. <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it's also, it's like, when you're young and you're trying to get into that, you're working against a stacked deck. Exactly. Because everybody, the odds are way against you. Well, and the millennials and the Zoomers know this, more than anybody else it is hard to find a job it is not our parents economy anymore and that's no. what's very interesting i maybe maybe we've, the 1970s had, are the perfect representation of modern day because it's like we've depressing. had the whole kind of thing fall apart and everyone just kind of fumbled the ball dropped the ball and we got to pick up the pieces yeah i mean and I'm going to finish this off here because I feel like there are people waiting for us outside. I don't know. I'm getting very uh, very paranoid because I keep seeing so many reflections of people there, just sitting there. Are people waiting for us? I don't know. Do we owe somebody money? <laughs> like, uh, I do. I, 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 I owe this, college tuition. <laughs> is this like a... Like a, is this like kind of like the Sopranos? The CIA heard what you were saying live on the radio on a college radio <laughs> it's like it's like are we about to be taken care of? In the middle of Ohio. <laughs> Next oh week's like I'm sorry, uh, I regret to inform you that retrospection radio will not be happening this week or ever <laughs> again. Seems that both uh, both uh, hosts have uh, seemed to have resigned <laughs> permanently, permanently uh, resigned, and have no interest in stepping back into anything ever again. They the, will never be seen anymore. They are now in Ottawa, Canada. Do not look for them. <laughs> The good news is this new time block will be replaced with pro-CIA uh, historical retellings. CIA retrospection. <laughs> uh, CIA through the years, reeling in the years. <laughs> making making a difference in the world, making it matter, the CIA. For better or for worse, I <laughs> for guess. For better or for worse. So uh, we're going we're gonna to finish up because we're coming up on two hours here. Um, well, we're coming up on two hours because I played music early. Uh, so 1974, the super outbreak, uh, the second largest series of tornadoes in history, hits 13 U.S. states and one Canadian province. We don't care as much about that one. Um, 13 U.S. states, 315 people are killed, and more than 5,000 people are injured, and so, so many more. Um, just like in 
I, I was about to say innumerable, but I'm not sure if that's uh, the proper term here. But a lot of people lost a lot of stuff in the 1974 super outbreak. Uh, the was, 70s, man, not a great time. Yeah. Good time for music, bad but, time for anything else. Speaking <laughs> of music in 1974, this will really tickle your fancy is since we're both audio engineers. So our old pal from uh, the 60s, Owsley Stanley, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. sound man of the Grateful Dead, yeah. gets out of prison in about 1972. And he devises a plan to make, well, he's always been devising this plan, but to make <laughs> the best live sound setup possible. So he gets to work on what is known as the Wall of Sound, which is, hold on. Um, Isn't it just like a literal wall of speakers? Yes. Yeah. And I don't hear very much about this, which is which is kind of upsetting because it's very like it's it's crazy. It's like it's like vocals, lead guitar, rhythm guitar, and piano each had their own channel and set of speakers. Phil Lesh's bass was piped through a quadraphonic encoder that sent signals from each of the four strings to a separate channel and set of speakers for each string. And another channel amplified the bass drum. Two more channels carried the snares, tom-toms, etc. And because each speaker carried just one instrument or vocalist, the sound was exceptionally clear and free of intermodulation distortion. And basically what it was, there's, there's kind of two reports of what this thing was comprised of. And one is 89 300-watt solid-state and three 350-watt vacuum tube amplifiers generating a total of 26,400 watts of audio power, which has 604 speakers total. (laughs) Another reported one is 586 JBL speakers and 54 Electro Voice tweeters powered by 48 Macintosh MC2300 amps. It's like 48,600, like that's 28,800 watts of continuous power. So this thing is that still around today? No, they they, on, they only used it for because they would tour with this thing, and basically they would have two trucks. I was gonna say they have a lot of. They would have to while they were they would have to like show up to the place they're playing at a day in advance and set up this this monster. And while they're playing, there's another truck driving off to the next venue, <laughs> setting up. So they only use this for about, I think, a little over a year. And then after that, they kind of took a break from touring. <laughs> they're like, you know, it shouldn't, shouldn't be as bad but as But it, it is projected like high-quality playback at 600 feet with an acceptable sound projected for a quarter mile, at which point wind interfere, you know, there was wind interference and stuff like that. But it was the first large-scale line array used in modern sound reinforcement system. Although, like, that wasn't a thing at the time. Nobody knew what line arrays were. They didn't know what that stuff was. <laughs> but it's the second largest non-permanent sound system ever built. But, yeah, there's, like, a lot of pictures of it. And it is... And how they... Do, oh, wait, here's how they did it. The band would perform one set while another... There were multiple sets of staging and scaffolding that toured with the Grateful Dead. In order to accommodate the time needed to set up and tear down the system, the band would perform one set while another would leapfrog to the next show. According to band historian Dennis McNally, there were two sets of scaffolding. 
According to Stanley, there were three sets. Four semi-trailers and 21 crew members were required to haul and set up the 75-ton oh. wall. Oh, that is back-breaking work. And yeah, from what I hear, like I've seen, like do- like I watched this document. There's a documentary on Amazon Prime called a long strange trip about it and they kind of mentioned it and like there's one part where phil is like it's like oh i loved that thing that thing was like hearing the voice of god <laughs> <laughs> well i just i can't imagine being the guy who's setting it up and then accidentally you forget to plug in one thing or you mess up you know turning on one thing or one thing breaks yeah and you're like oh no well speaking of things breaking the first time they tried to do it it was in like 73 and i forget where it was but basically they blew all the tweeters at once (laughs) (laughs) oh those poor people but and it's weird because i don't hear a lot of people talk about because that's like in terms of like what sound systems are now live like a lot of that is kind of, you know, the wall of sound is kind of like the grandfather of all uh, of that. Yeah. Like that's the that's the Mac Daddy of just good quality live sound. <laughs> uh, we do love some good quality live sound. Oh yeah, and that's like the hardest way to that's the hardest it's so hard to get good live sound. Like well, I definitely would not be willing to set up seventy five tons of sound equipment of just to get good live sound. <laughs> a freaking i don't know how tall it was but like there's pictures of them standing in front of it and it's just (laughs) it is it's massive it is like the most insane thing i've ever seen in my life it's like when i first heard of the wall of sound i thought like i was like oh yeah you know it's like phil specter's method of just you know putting a lot of music into one song but then, like, when I heard about that, I was like, oh, yeah, the wall of sound. And I saw a picture. I was like, that is, like, a literal wall <laughs> of sound. Oh, it's, it's unique. It is very. But that's. So there's 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 a, there's a ray of hope in the 70s. There you go. Revolutions in audio technology. Everyone was so high in the 60s, they didn't care about uh, the sound quality. And now since everyone's well, starting dead to sober they, up. They had, they, because they had Owsley Stanley. He was obsessed with live sound. He would, That's like, fair. He would try to, he would try to, like, talk to the speakers. Because there's one, I heard, like, one story where it was, like, it was after a show, and I guess the sound didn't sound so good. And he was, like one of the band members some other like roadie were like walking around and like they found him like like kind of like huddled up one speaker just like talked it's like why did you fail me <laughs> <laughs> this is all your fault we only sounded good tonight and not great but <sighs> he's he is definitely a a pioneer in in sound technology because he just kind of did things his own way because all he cared about was just like like I just he kind of worked in like the I think the army like doing like communications and stuff and like working with stuff like that so he had other people helping him with the audio engineering aspect of it but he still wanted just like perfect crystal clear live sound which is that's a very admiral thing like especially in the 60s because like when you listen to like a live album in the 60s like there's one by the Rolling Stones called Got Live If You Want It, I think. And it sounds terrible, but it's awesome. It's a really good live album because it's like the early Rolling Stones when they're like just like really just like young and fervent and just high energy. 
And then like in 1969, there's a live Grateful Dead I'm called Live Dead. And it sounds really good because it's really well recorded and stuff like that. And like, you know, they got good equipment and stuff. And it's just like, wow. <laughs> it's like, this is a live. Wow. It's like, it still sounds really good. Even 50 years, like 52 years later. It's like, it's, it's, it's unreal. Cause you're, cause you got a big 16 track tape. Cause there's, I don't know what it is, but something about just analog, just like, Oh, analog and digital, such a huge difference between them, but just analog sound each and each has their own drawbacks. Exactly. Something about analog, though, it really draws me to it. I really love editing on digital because oh, <laughs> it's yeah. so easy. Yeah. I mean, I spent, I woke up at 8 a.m. this morning, and by 8.30, I was on my computer editing Retrospection Radio and various musical files, and I love how fast it yeah, the, goes. Yeah, the whole drag and drop kind of thing instead of, like, physically cutting out tape and trying to figure yeah. out where to cut it at and... And splicing it in. And, well, and oh it was my gosh. terrible for movies at that point, too. And it's like, well, not at that point. Yeah, even editing on. movies, like hand splicing film together and oh. stuff like that, and trying to do like crossfades without the help of like any kind of technology. Like, you got to just kind of like, it's like, how in the world did anybody have the patience to do any of this? It's like, well, even. And how do you learn it in the first place, or too? Or even like in the 40s, like in Citizen Kane, like. When I first watched it, I was like, this is an interesting movie. And then, like, I watched it again. And then I realized, like, while I was watching, I was like, this was made in the late 30s to the early 40s. And I swear, (laughs) that shot at the beginning with the snow globe and the reflection, I'm like, how? How did did you do that that in the 40s with just only having film? What a good movie. Oh, my gosh. I am glad I've grown up as an editor when I've grown up as an editor. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, I have had a few mentors over the years who have been able to tell me the glory of analog. And I'm like, you know, I would throw it across the room in five minutes. I'd be so frustrated. See, my my forms of editing my editing career, my video editing career is an art class and really screwing around with color keying and, <laughs> and solarizing. That's solarizing. It's my favorite. <laughs> it's, it's a good time. I, uh, I especially like doing green screens and like intentionally doing them bad and having corny videos of like the green screen really badly cut. Or like really badly lit and you can see it like wrinkle. <laughs> <laughs> you can see the wrinkles. You can see like the shadows in the background, but you're like, wait a minute. Why are those shadows green? Those are my favorite videos. Like, <laughs> those are my favorite kind of videos. Just really bad green screen videos. Like somebody, like, you know, with like a cheap sheet, like just kind of like on the wall. Like they don't have anything, like any professional kind of mounts holding it up. Just kind of like flung up, <laughs> and then it's just like they have like yellow, like halogen light bulbs lighting them. <laughs> It's just yellow. You can see the green screen. Like, there's just a crappy background. You can see, like, all the wrinkles and shadows. (laughs) That's, look, people will say it's like, that's not good. That's that's bad. I'm just like, look, that is is beautiful. If if I saw a whole movie made like that, I would watch it. Well, in the, just the early 2000s, anyways, when people, when that technology was a lot more expensive and people were just starting to learn that technology anyways 
I, I love I've had this trend lately um, where I've been going back and watching old TV shows. Um, but along with that, I've also been going back and watching old YouTube videos. So I've watched some of the old Yogscast stuff, and I couldn't get through most of it because it was like 20 to 30 minutes of just raw Minecraft footage. And, you know, as a kid, I enjoyed that a lot. Now as an adult, I'm like, I never no. got in. I kind of missed all that stuff. Like, I never really, like, I, I played Minecraft by myself, but I just, I would just screw around in creative mode. I never did anything. I never uh, tried to, like, play the game. I did try. I did it for about a whole day because I was like, I'm going to find diamonds. And then I did. And then I died right after. And then I was like, I'm never doing, doing that, that again. <laughs> I was like that. I was so mad. I was like, I lost everything. And I was just like that. Like, screw that. <laughs> so a lot of the uh, YouTubers from like, especially Smosh and stuff from like 2007 oh, like, to like 2011, their production quality shoots up. But especially a lot of those old YouTubers from that time, the green screens are not great. And you never notice it as a kid when you watch them. But now as an adult who works in the field and has seen this type of stuff and still watches YouTubers who do it like perfectly, it is very funny to me to go back and watch these homemade videos because that's what YouTube was. It was a bunch of homemade videos. Um, there's somebody I like to watch. It's like, who, it's like they had the you know youtube broadcast yourself until they took it out yep i miss that it's like you know it was like it was like a whole inclusive thing and now it's just like yeah it's not broadcast yourself anymore it's pay to play and then we'll put you on the home page <laughs> if you're not jimmy well, you want your money if you're not jimmy fallon you're not getting on the home page <laughs> jimmy fallon jimmy kimmel all those jimmies and late night hosts that are that people think are funny but i don't think I don't think they're funny either. Because they all do the same thing. They're just like, hi, everybody, this is the show, and then I'm going to get up from the desk. Hey, did you hear about the president today? He did this. Oh, man, uh, here's a <laughs> witty <laughs> joke about the president. Insert here. Hey, did you hear about what's happening here today, this movie? Insert witty joke about the movie. Ha, 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 ha. It's <laughs> just like... And they all here's tell my them, live studio band. I saw this. I saw the. Vi I saw this video where it was like... They were talking about like the monologues, just like it was like Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, um, the Daily Show, and like all these different shows, and they basically like talk about like a world events, like oh Trump did this, and they all talk about it, and they basically tell the same joke, <laughs> and it's like it's like dude, <laughs> you're stealing from like literally you're you're the lowest hanging fruit possible, and they all go for it. It's like you guys are supposed to be seasoned comedians. Some of you were on SNL. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> the uh, my laptop just died because uh, oh, I haven't man. had it plugged in. Uh, although I don't know why I don't bring my plug with me. I just I didn't. Um, so we were in 1974, and I'm gonna go ahead and try and wrap this up a little bit since we're uh, we might have to we might have to flip the record on this one. We might have to do a part two. <laughs> yeah. Well. Oh. Um. Uh, oh, hey. World Trade Center completed in 1970. Oh. Didn't know that. Uh, 1974. Let me get to 1974. This is 73. Ah, 1974. Girls allowed to play in Little League Baseball. 
There it's you go. Uh, national speed limits, 55. We talked about that. Microsoft is founded in 1975. Oh, no. I went too far. Uh, what happened to my 1974? Uh, I think I got it. I had a timeline I was following, and I just missed the timeline. Uh, Arab oil embargo, 1974. Super outbreak. Uh, oh, we don't have much left. Uh, Hank Aaron of the Atlanta Braves breaks Babe Ruth's record. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Hank Aaron, yeah. That's yeah. one of the things I learned about in my baseball phase. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he breaks Babe Ruth's home run record by hitting his 715th career home run. Um, Good on Hank Aaron, man. 1974, Sweet Home Alabama, released by Leonard Skinner. And also... The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But this is true, 1974. And the way the the movie was made, like the context, it was kind of a reaction to like just the the desensitized like state of just like violence in the media and stuff like that. Because it's like the way it's filmed is like a documentary style film, and it's like it's really weird. It's kind of fascinating to watch it with that context in mind, and also like the the whole like Vietnam War and stuff, just like. Because, you know, they're playing that stuff on TV. Good old mockumentaries. It's like, and especially since, like, literally every person involved in that movie was injured in the making of it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Vietnam to me. Yeah. Uh, so we get to close off 1974 with some wonderful, wonderful, uh, we already talked about this a lot because really this is all that happens in the early 70s besides, you know, Jimi Hendrix and a bunch of other musicians dying. Uh, 1974, Watergate scandal. Finally, the House committee votes to impeach the president. Um, and so we get to 1974, August 8th, because this is going to be huge for the rest of the 70s. August 8th, you have Richard Nixon resign, saying, I'm no longer going to be president. And then September, I think it was 6th or 8th or something like that, um, Gerald R. Ford takes over because... Agnew, if you remember, had resigned previously the year before, and Ford took over for him. So now Ford's taking over as president and comes in and pardons Nixon. This is very important because Vietnam. But we'll get to that next time. Thank you for uh, listening to 97.5 WOB and the Wildcard. Uh, more importantly, uh, Retrospection Radio Hour, which always goes two hours. Uh, just, just by the way, haha, funny name. Uh, next week we're going to be talking about 1975 to 1980 I had meant to ask you this question earlier um, so we'll, we'll we'll think about it but uh, I, it's the weekend week, 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 that's what it is week, week, week of Thanksgiving um, and as always I, I want to know what people are thankful for so go ahead and give us some tweets uh, at underscore retro radio or Instagram or Facebook, just search up retrospection radio um you'll find us and just give us some posts and messages and just let us know what are you thankful for um for this week i mean we talked about the day of mourning in the 1970s um to kind of help with native relations which really have been thrown on the back burner for actually still thrown on the back burner for american history so um historically it's really not a great event that's happened in the past but culturally it's become a good time for us to just sit down and say what we're thankful for um and just kind of appreciate life for the people who you know 
actually practice the holiday. For me, I find it a great time to sit down, appreciate life, and just be happy I'm here. Um, so, you've been listening to Retrospection Radio Hour. I have been Noah. And I have been Nate. This is 97.5 WOBN The Wild Card. We're going to go ahead and get into some of the top of the hour stuff. And we'll see you on the flip side.